0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guests today are Maria Wrote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer, and Pete Young, a Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. In many ways, this is a special edition of Ask the CIO, as I like to say, because not only do we have a federal CIO, but Pete, you're bringing some insights, some experience from uh, the University of Maryland University College, and that's where we're going to start. So first of all, welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you. you. Pete, let's just start with you, because uh, one of the reasons why we're having this conversation is because the University of Maryland University College is putting together kind of a new cloud computing program. And and that really stems from some work you did at the University of Maryland. And so give us the background a little bit. Tell us about your
2: Effort with the cloud and how that led to the, maybe this new course. Our experience at the university is probably similar to uh, to those of many organizations that are facing, you know, a refresh, if you will, or or a reinvestment in their infrastructure. You know, when I arrived at the university about six years ago, uh, a lot of our technology foundation was legacy at that point and was really needing a a renewal, all on-prem, um, very uh, traditional, if you will, uh, in its design. And so, one of the things that presented as an opportunity was a unique period of time where the cloud had matured to a point where it was I think more readily adopted. So we really took a a cloud first posture and over the period of about three years moved our entire infrastructure from the on-prem and more legacy computing model into the cloud. And we had a lot of, uh, of learnings from that as you might imagine and we completed that in about 2014. But one of the greatest challenges we faced was really the re-envisioning and redesigning of the roles within a traditional IT organization, not just trying to find talent, which of course it has it has been and continues to be a challenge. Um, but really, um, reimagining the roles and what it means to be, you know, a a cloud design engineer uh, or some of the other roles that that are are inherent with that. I think that our journey and experience through that really mirrored that of the industry, and as and as difficult as it was for us to both hire, train, and keep talent um, in the cloud field, the university recognized that as, a, as an opportunity. You know, we're very close to workforce demands. Our students are, are primarily adults, um, most oftentimes working, and so we're very close to the emerging needs of the uh, the industry. And so the university saw an opportunity here in the cloud arena to really design a program that could actually help to provide more workforce for not just the federal government, but certainly for the industry as well. So let me back up for a sec, because with your title,
1: you're not titled a quote-unquote CIO. But in many ways, it seems like you do the CIO's role. As you said, you came in and saw that a lot of the technology was legacy on-prem, and you, you worked with, I guess, your folks to move it off-prem. So just clarify, do you, are you a CIO but not in
2: name? Well, I'm actually in a CIO in name as well, so oh, okay. I think I left that off. So, you know, when I arrived six years ago, I, I was I was hired in as the CIO, subsequently inherited some additional divisions, and as we created some other functions uh, but yes, no, that that, that uh, role set exists uh, within my purview. Uh,
1: excellent. So now that you guys are in the cloud, everything's perfect, right? I mean, that's like, you have no technology worries. Your cyber's awesome. Give me a sense of more generally speaking, sure. more realistically, what benefits you guys
2: are seeing right now. I think it's probably one of the great misconceptions. You know, the art, if you will, or practice of information technology is not fundamentally different, whether you're cloud deployed or on-prem deployed. It really is a modality. So nothing to do with your security rigor Uh, is necessarily uh, enhanced automatically by moving to the cloud. And in fact, you face additional challenges. But what you do gain, I think, in a lot of cases, certainly in ours, is agility uh, and a lot of flexibility. We're able to deploy technology very rapidly. We're able to scale up and down almost instantaneously. And what's important, I think, in commercial industry is is capital budgets. In the public sector, is not so much, but we don't have a traditional capital budget anymore. We basically pay as we consume. So there's no longer-term investment requirement as it relates to the infrastructure uh, that we've deployed. So we find it to be much more nimble in our deployment of solutions.
1: Now, let me turn to Maria. This is the great example of why cloud is perfect and wonderful and, and super, pay by the drink model, modernize your legacy IT. I mean, you know, can you recruit them into the federal world, right? I mean, give me a sense of what you think of what you're hearing from from Pete.
3: The experience he's had moving into the cloud and now, you know, having to train people, moving that workforce forward, it's a lot of work. I've been in the cloud space now for uh, several years, uh, believe it or not. I mean, the cloud first policy has been around for a while. And when you look at what UMUC has done, you know, now they're starting to offering the training programs. There's definitely a need for, for training, expertise in that field. Not only is it around the networking, the engineering, the security, all those pieces, but what really do you have to know about a cloud architecture if you're building something out, if you're building a, your own private cloud architecture? What are those things you need to know, and how do you have to support that? And that's really important for the workforce. You have to train them up, get them up to speed so they understand that environment.
1: And you're finding that challenge right now at the SBA in many ways. And we'll talk later in the program about your cloud efforts. But in some ways, you you know, do you you feel Pete's kind of pain as this, you know, 2014, 2013, as Pete was going through this? Are you feeling those pains now in terms of do you have the right people? Are they trained up? And where do you get training from?
3: Yes. (laughs) Yes is the short answer. (laughs) Who who isn't in many ways? Yeah. Yeah. And we're having to train people, you know, whether it's offering training in-house, you know, getting them out there to courses, some of the free training around town, those kind of getting people engaged in all of that. All that training is really, really important, regardless of where you get it. I mean, it's good to have the formal programs as well as the informal where you get uh, you learn from your peers as well.
1: Pete, let me bring you into this and let's talk about this training issue, because that it's been a huge issue. Maria talked about it. Every CIO I talk with when I ask about workforce, they need you know two things, right? Data scientists or data analysts and then also people who understand how the cloud. So. What are you guys doing to kind of address at least the cloud side of this?
2: It's pretty uh, interesting that you mentioned analytics as well, because on both fronts, we have a similar challenge, right? We adopted fairly early on, relatively aggressive and more sophisticated practices in both fields. um, And the labor pool is not there to really draw from. Uh, And as you're changing the roles of people on staff, you really have an enormous training opportunity to really redevelop them and retool them to be able to take on kind of those more uh, evolved roles. Maria, jump in.
3: You know, as you're looking at the training and, and what needs to happen, you know, with the workforce and all of that, it's not just, you know, we're going to lift things up and shift them to the cloud. It's about the cloud architecture, about how you're going to architecture space, about doing the migration efforts, about doing that that planning and all that work up front. It is so important to understand that entire space because you just, it's not just moving to the cloud, it's how do you operate it after you've moved things. And you need to understand that operations piece as well.
1: And I think sometimes that gets lost. You think, oh well, the vendor will take care of it. And, and as Pete will tell us, that's, that's that's not the case sometimes, or most of the time.
2: That's right. Some of the activities you certainly do kind of absolve yourself of, which is, uh, you know, if you think about the at the most simplistic level, the racking and stacking might go away, um, but really operating and managing and and designing and perfecting, if you will, the solutions, are still very much um, in your responsibility set. Uh, in addition, there's actually new activities that come along with this and kind of w- um, ways to think about things differently. You know, one of the things that um, we learned early on is we had an opportunity to really reimagine the whole disaster recovery notion. When you're highly virtualized like we are and basically completely cloud, it's more resilience by design as opposed to traditional DR. You know, the the need for an off-site or a fail, failover center when you're almost completely cloud deployed kind of goes away in a traditional sense. Now, when people are in very much a hybrid world, you still have, you know, pieces of both. You're straddling both worlds. Uh, but we were able to, to redesign a lot of our solutions such that they're running in a highly resilient way in multiple zones. So therefore, there's kind of a continuous design up front, whereas you don't have the more historical models where you actually have to fail over. And I think things like that introduce new skill challenges for the team. So let's talk
1: about the coursework and the training and and the curriculum right now. After you got through your cloud deployment, the light bulb went off and you said, okay, wow, we need to provide an outlet and, and way so people don't have the same maybe problems you did.
2: Talk a little bit about how that, how the course developed. Yeah, so the program for for cloud computing, which we're very excited about rolling out this fall, um, has followed kind of a similar pathway to our data analytics graduate program as well as our, our multiple cyber programs. Understanding that there's a huge skill gap, if you will, or or de- unmet demand in the industry kind of gives you the idea for what might need to be the next educational pathways. But our institution takes a similar approach, which is bringing in um, you know, a variety of experts across uh, the employer space, the federal government space to really help uh, identify what specific skills and capabilities are gonna be needed by these students, these graduates. Um, And then we really work backwards from understanding what is it they need to be able to do, and then we design courses and programs, and if you will, projects, which we are very much uh, an experiential uh, program that can actually ensure that when these students graduate, they actually have the demonstrated skills necessary to succeed in in the roles that, uh, you know, Maria and and I uh, experience in our own native organizations.
1: I want to delve into the coursework in a second but let me turn to Maria for a second when you talk about your involvement with UMUC and the fact that as, as Pete said we were looking for experts private sector public sector you got involved pretty easily talk a little bit about your involvement a little bit and how are you connected to uh, this effort
3: I crossed paths with UMUC and they reached out to me we started a conversation as they were doing some research trying to understand how they were going to build the program and we had a, a conversation, much like they did, I'm sure, with, with a number of other folks as they were building it out. What are those requirements? What do you need for the workforce? What do I need as a CIO to be able to, to move into the cloud to support that? And one thing led to another, and here we are.
1: Excellent. Now, do you guys also have you reached out to other private sector or
2: public sector CIOs or people in the IT world to help out too? Absolutely. You know, we engage a variety of experts, if you will, that we bring in um, whenever we're considering both new programs as well as um, revising our current programs and courses. You know, we maintain a continuous effort to reinvest in our, our curriculum and make sure that it's, it's very contemporary, especially, as you might imagine, within you know, cloud computing or cyber or analytics. These are rapidly evolving fields, and so the coursework really cannot afford to get stale. So you're obviously trying to continually uh, incorporate new best practices in the case of cyber, you know, new threats and challenges that emerge in the marketplace. You want to be able to help teach the students how to, to best address those.
1: And, and I think I've talked to the University of Maryland before about their CIO certificate program. I've talked to you guys about, I think, the cyber program as well. Mm-hmm. The background of how you guys develop those courses is always fascinating. And the CIO certificate, if you remember, Maria, back in mid-2000s, there was the CIO university that... I think GSA used to run, if I remember correctly, or, or be a part of, and that, I think, ended up developing into this kind of partnership effort with the University of Maryland, Carnegie Mellon, and a few others. Well, Pete, let's and Maria, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump into the coursework, what it looks like, and what people need to know. My guests are Maria Rote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer, and Pete Young, a Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM.
4: Hey everybody, it's David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast, the D.C. area's one and only food and wine variety show.
0: Next Sunday, we're going to be doing Rosé all day in studio with Vinoteca, who just opened up their Rosé garden, and Mikey Friedman is back. They've got a new all-purpose coming. We're going to hear all about it.
4: That's Foodie and the Beast this Sunday and every Sunday at 11 right here on 1500 AM.
5: Here's Soraya Correa, Homeland Security's Chief Procurement Officer on Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing.
3: If you're trying to market federal agencies, participate in things like requests for information and industry days and those kinds of events to get known as early as possible. A lot of the agencies now are really tightly planning their budgets, but what really is happening is we're trying to do a better job of getting information out to
5: industry as early as possible. Listen to the whole program to hear best practices for end-of-year marketing at federalnewsradio.com. Search market chat. Are you a government marketing professional? If so, you should know about Government Marketing University's GAIN Conference on October 13th in Reston, Virginia. GAIN stands for Grow, Accelerate, Innovate, and Network. Top-notch training and educational content, networking, and robust exchange of ideas will help you grow your skills and accelerate your marketing success. Visit GovernmentMarketingUniversity.com to learn more about the GAIN 2017 Conference on October 13th, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Hear that? That's the sound of a computer on the internet. But is it someone booking their vacation? Or is it an enemy plotting a cyber attack? Battelle is helping our government with cybersecurity so that we stay one step ahead of those who would do us harm, enhancing cyber intelligence. With Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at battelle.org forward slash cyber your time is valuable don't make the federal procurement process harder than it needs to be gsa's one acquisition solution for integrated services oasis and oasis small business oasis sb allows you to source all your complex professional service needs with a single buying solution oasis and oasis sb offer simple and flexible solutions for your complex professional service needs they span many expertise mission areas and professional service discipline and even allow flexibility for all contract types.
0: Tune in each weekday morning at six. Tom Temin brings you the latest agency news from across the government. Reports on congressional action and developments affecting your pay and benefits. Hear interviews with people making, analyzing, and helping you understand the news. Start off your weekday informed and stimulated. It's The Federal Drive with Tom Temin, weekday mornings at 6, here on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. And for all the latest federal news, be sure to visit federalnewsradio.com. Jason Miller reports the buzz from around the federal community in our reporter's notebook. Sign up at federalnewsradio.com. Search
1: alerts. Welcome back, you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Maria Rote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer, and Pete Young, the Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. This is a special edition of Ask the CIO where we're talking about really education, cloud, specifically, and and training. So Pete, we're gonna talk about the new course that University of Maryland University College is offering, but before we do that, we're gonna start with Maria. Maria, talk a little bit about this workforce challenge that Pete mentioned earlier. He saw it and when, when the University of Maryland was moving to the cloud. You see it now at SBA. Talk a little bit about the workforce challenge that's happening across really all of the IT sector.
3: As we're moving to the cloud, we're offering training both internally. We have lunch and learns every Friday with our staff. I don't have a big training budget. We are training at what we can for coursework and those kind of things, as well as, you know, the courses, webinars, things like that are around town. But when you really look at training, you know, I can do so much i can put in individual development plans i can do those things but employees i don't it doesn't matter if you're federal or if you're out in the private sector you own your career and to maintain relevance to continue to further your education it doesn't matter if you're young you're old you're middle age whatever you are you own your career and you have a responsibility if you want to continue in this field to remain relevant you do have to go out and get training on your own there's only so much i can do you know, I will offer free training. I will pay for what I can, um, you know, sessions, day-long sessions, the lunch and learn, like I said. But, again, I want to I wanna hit that, that, that our federal employees, or if you're in the private sector, you own your career and you own your training.
1: And so many times, uh, we talk about this all the time in the federal government, that training is the first one that gets cut. So when your administrator comes to you and say, Maria, we need to cut some costs, unfortunately, many times training gets hit first. That's what we hear a lot from. So it's even becomes more important for the federal employee or any employees, in your case, as you mentioned, to go out and and figure out, okay, how can I stay relevant? And do do I get the sense that that doesn't happen as much as it should probably?
3: Uh, I think there needs to be more of there it. There needs to be more there of it. There needs to be more of it.
1: <laughs> Very diplomatic <Yeah. laughs> point there. More of it. Let's turn to Pete real quick and, and, and talk about the course where they can get this training, where they can uh, you know, better themselves. You said starting this
2: fall, tell us more about it. What what do people what should people know? Our program is really based upon our experience, I think as Marie alluded to, of, of the difficulty around finding and retaining qualified staff, but but importantly as she alluded to as well, the development of existing employees. So there's very few programs in cloud available, which is one of the reasons we decided to start this program, although many programs have elements of this. This is really a cloud-focused program. For uh, students enrolling in this, this is a six-credit 6, six credit course program that uh, a student taking it part-time can finish in two years. Uh, it's about $16,500 for a Maryland resident. But the good news is that being one of the 11 universities that, that partner with the Federal uh, Academic Alliance of OPM, any federal employee, their dependent or spouse, can take this for less than $18,000. So really, in a relatively uh, short period of time, uh, even learning uh, part-time, uh, which most of our students do, by the way, um, and, and, and fully online, uh, it's a very accessible program. Um, so we're excited about the structure. It's, it's uh, keeping within UMBC's mission of being you know, accessible, affordable, high quality. Uh, this really help, helps to serve that, uh, that workforce development need. But as I mentioned, there's six courses, a couple of examples of the types of courses that there's a cloud management course that teaches all the principles and practices around uh, managing in a cloud environment, cloud infrastructure, planning, design, and configurations. Like a lot of our graduate programs, there's a capstone uh, course. In this case, it is a cloud computing orchestration, which basically has the students uh, designing, planning, implementing, and, and doing a complete cloud, if you will, migration, which, is, again, are, are really workforce-relevant, demonstrable skills that they'll need uh, when they get out there. It's all project-based, so these are authentic. Kind of learning, if you will, not just assessments, but learning demonstrations that they actually are being equipped to understand the concepts, given the tools with which to do the activity, and then they're out, they have an opportunity to kind of iterate the project through to uh, to a satisfactory completion, which we believe is a really effective way for the those folks to learn.
1: So there's a couple things in there. Let's put a finer point on the cost. We talked about Maryland residency, and then through OPM. So I live in Virginia. If I was a a federal employee i could take it for again i could take the class through the OPM partnership and potentially do it for, as you said,
2: about under $18,000. That's right. I mean, as a, as a public institution of Maryland, uh, you know, our residents are afforded in-state tuition, which is a slightly advantaged cost, but the federal partnership allows for any federal employee to take it at a 25% discount of what an out-of-state rate would normally uh, entail. So it's really a great advantage for those those employees and their families to a- to access this exciting new program.
1: And I think the key here is that it's not just for the employee, but families and dependents. And I think that's so important because as, as Maria probably Will tell us it's not just our generation, whoever is our generation, <laughs> but it's the next one down too. That's got to understand the cloud. And if you don't start taking these courses and start bettering yourself, you eventually you become our generation and maybe feel a little like you're you're left behind. The coursework is interesting too. It's very project-based, so give me an example of maybe a project.
2: Sure. So, um, you know, a sample project might be to design a new cloud-based network architecture for an organization. So when they're thinking about being on-prem versus the cloud, that's a that's a really fundamental skill. Or perhaps analyzing the strengths and weaknesses of legacy IT systems and then evaluating the value of transitioning them to the cloud. As you might imagine, not every Uh, system migration may make sense on its face value, especially from an economic perspective. It may be that, you know, that needs to run its course and then the the next uh, iteration of it makes more sense to move. But these are more practical skills. It's not an absolute, you know, kind of an issue. Uh, Things shouldn't be purely in the cloud or purely on-prem. Everyone has to make decisions around what makes the most sense. And this program is really designed to Help them think through all the, the reasoning and rationale for what should move, why should it move, how to make a compelling case or argument, and then how to fundamentally design and implement that.
1: So do you have a whole like lab setup of mainframes in one lab and then client servers in another and then some some zero clients in another that, you know, from the green screen era and then you kind of push them into there and say, decide if this gets to go to the cloud or not?
2: It's probably a little more straightforward than you might imagine. I'm uh, so, so excited—the you know, to whole you know, <laughs> thing of
1: green screens and, and client servers.
2: Yeah. So being a virtual uh, virtual institution, you know, everything we do pretty much is online and, and highly virtualized. So we actually do, in fact, uh, create lab environments that can mimic a, a variety of different uh, situations. One of the things that's neat about the program is it's not just simply a very technical program. This actually deals with policy issues, financial considerations. Uh, understanding the kind of design thinking necessary to be successful in these. So it's really more of a holistic uh, view of this. And not unlike our cyber programs, sure, there's some hard, you know, kind of hacking or defensive strategies and and, and uh, tactics that are taught, but there's a lot of policy elements and other, and other considerations that go into any, you know, sound strategy or, or IT plan.
1: Maria, let me turn to you for a second. One of the things that Pete brought up, and I think this is uh, very important, is it's not just a hard skill course, it's a soft skill course, meaning you have to understand the business side, the cost side. And, and you being a CIO, you have to deal with that every single day. Talk a little bit about the course setup and, and kind of your thoughts on, on how UMUC has, has developed the courses.
3: There's elements outside of just the hardware piece of it, right? Just the, the pure technical, understanding the business needs, how the business... One of the things that's, I think, foundational in the design that you that you talked about, Pete, was in the design, how does your data move? How does your data move from on-prem? How does it move into the cloud? How does it move across private, You know whether it's a hybrid cloud? How does that data move around? That's certainly a design element. But to understand how that data moves, you need to know how your users use that data. So if you start backing into it, what's that business behind it? What is this public facing? Are your users external to the organization? Are they internal to the organization? Those are the business elements. Those are the kind of questions you have to ask. And then not only is that, what do you need that data encrypted in the cloud? Should it be? Should it be, you know, encrypted in transit? All those elements around it, because whether it's PII data, uh, personally identifiable information, all of those things, you need to know that up front, even before you get into the hard architecture.
2: Pete. That's right. And and I think, you know, Marie raised a great point. Some of the things that are, that are not necessarily top of mind when people have been in a more traditional computing environment, you move to the cloud and if you're global like us, you have all kinds of regulatory uh, issues with different regions of the world to contend with. So not just simply, um, as she alluded to, with the data being, you know, let's say encrypted at rest or in transit, but which countries and regions is it transiting through? What are the considerations to data storage laws and regulations? Foreign nationals have different rights in some cases within the countries that uh, they reside, but if they're computing in a different country, you know, these are all the types of topics that then start to emerge when you're in this you know, newer, more, more scattered, if you will, computing model.
3: Maria? And certainly some of those elements are incredibly important across the federal government, which is why, you know, FedRAMP was started some time ago, and that whole security around around cloud and not only understanding where your data knowing where it sits.
1: And, of course, if people don't remember your background, you were the one who got to start FedRAMP, <laughs> the Fed cloud security program. Pete, you didn't bring up security as a key course. I just imagine it's in there. I mean, one of the things we talk about, we hear time and again with, with cloud, is it's going to either A, save you money, Or B, it will give you more capabilities for the same amount of money, but also better security. Uh, Imagine, as you talk about the business side of it, I mean, that's a case Maria probably has to weigh every, every day.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, one of the strengths that we have is that, um, you know, all of our programs are somewhat multidisciplinary. And so, as I mentioned, it's not about a hard technical skill alone, but we have our our breadth of cyber programs that we offer both at the undergraduate and graduate level. You know, courses and material from those courses can be drawn into this program. You know, the analytics program actually uh, teaches and, and uses um, technologies and, and skills that are also used in this program. So we're actually kind of able to pick and choose content and tactics and other um you know if you will projects demonstrations that can be infused into this program this program is definitely completely from start to finish cloud focused but it's multi multidisciplinary we use project management uh, curricula and skills and tactics you know one of the uh, the projects that they'll, they'll they'll work on is to create uh, and execute a project management plan to transition from on-prem to the cloud so once again you're seeing starting to see these these elements but you know, we take security very seriously, as you might imagine. It needs to be consideration from design to execution and, and, and management. But I think, as I mentioned earlier in the program, cloud is a modality. It is not a, a destination. So the, the responsibility you have, the opportunities you have to kind of uh, think about and secure your data is germane both to being on-prem or in a virtualized world. There's nuances to it certainly, but it doesn't absolve you of any of those responsibilities.
1: At the end of the coursework, after you go through the, the six courses and get your credits, is it a
2: master's degree? Is it a certificate program? What, what's the end result? Yeah, this is a master's degree program. As I mentioned in cyber, we have both undergraduate and graduate, but our analytics and cloud offerings at this point are graduate level programs. All right. I definitely want to go into a little more details about those other two programs. But before I do that, let me
1: turn to Maria as well. This program sounds wonderful. There's a 25% discount through the OPM if you don't live in, in Maryland. There's so much there. How are you, from your perspective as being a federal CIO, getting the word out, not just to your employees, but the broader CIO council and the broader employees that work in, in the IT world and the federal government?
3: I think just, you know, through our communications, whether it's with the other uh, CIOs, just getting the word out and letting people know about it. You know, you've got the partnership with OPM, you know, talking to the federal CIO council, you know, through that and just having the communication saying, hey, did you know that there's a program out there? Not only are there X, Y, and Z, here's some things we're doing, and oh, by the way, I just learned about the UMUC program. So it's just an information exchange and just getting the word out.
1: And I know, uh, I guess, later in September as well, there's uh, some webinars you're going to be t- taking part in as uh, well?
3: Yes, that's coming up, uh, again yeah, in another month or so.
1: So, and, and those webinars, are, those, uh, they'll, be, they'll be
3: available online. Um, I think the, one of those will be with Susie Adams from Microsoft. So, looking forward to those, and they'll be available online.
1: All right. Again, another good way to kind of get the word out and, and, and share what, what's going on. Pete, from uh, federal employees who are interested,
2: where do they go? What do they do? Sure, you know, everything's available on our website. Um, they can find tons of information or, or certainly they can contact, um, you know, our advisors. Uh, UMUC.edu fed is a ton of information. We also have, you know, uh, microsites for our cyber analytics uh, and now our cloud computing architecture program as well. So they can find, you know, uh, an enormous amount of information regarding the, the, the offerings there.
1: All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk a little bit more about other offerings within UMUC and we can delve deeper into Maria and her experiences with the cloud at the Small Business Administration. My guests, they are Maria Rote, the Small Business Administration CIO, and Pete Young, the Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM.
4: Solving challenges for government IT modernization. Here's Tom Frana, CEO of Vion Corporation.
2: Vion partners with Commonario to support high performance applications with innovative all-flash technology. With Vion's unique as-a-service model, Government IT organizations can modernize their data centers to more effectively embrace digital transformation.
5: Get to know Commonario
4: as a Vion-trusted partner by visiting vion.com slash flash. That's vion.com slash flash.
0: Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Carasoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff, cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search Innovation in Government.
4: Our veterans literally put their lives on the line to protect our freedoms. Some of them come back with terrible wounds and struggle to make ends meet on a day-to-day basis. Operation Second Chance gives wounded veterans the financial support they need to pay their rent, fix their cars, or even feed their families. If you'd like to give a little something back to these service members who've given so much for our country, visit OperationSecondChance.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. That's OperationSecondChance.org.
5: The most dangerous day for a baby is the first day of life. Babies born in poverty zones are dying from infections, pneumonia, malnutrition. But they don't have to die. For nearly 60 years, Project Hope has been working around the world, training local health care workers, delivering medicines and medical supplies, giving newborns the healthy start they need to survive and thrive. Make sure her first day of life is not her last. To volunteer or learn more about Project Hope, visit projecthope.org. Join AFCEA Nova at the
4: Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City on October 3rd for the 16th annual Naval IT Day. In one content-packed day, business developers, business leaders, executive managers, and technical leaders will have the opportunity to gain outstanding insight into the vision and future directions of the naval forces. Active-duty military and government employees may attend free of charge. Register now at fcianova.org. That's fcianova.org.
2: This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily
5: about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at jserbu, WFED.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Maria Rote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer, and Pete Young, Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. Fascinating discussion so far, Pete, about the new coursework around cloud computing. It seems really, as you are trying to meet a need that's out there, and it's a growing need, as you heard Maria say, uh, but you guys also have been doing this coursework, this looking at the needs of the federal community or even just the IT community more broadly for, for many years. You, you mentioned earlier a cybersecurity course offering. You mentioned data analytics. Talk just a little bit, give us an overview of those two course offerings or and any others that maybe are out there.
2: You know, as we talked a little bit about how we, we um, put together our cloud computing architecture program, you know, it's very analogous to what we saw with cyber. This is going back a number of years, uh, but as we saw the emerging need and kind of the workforce demand there. Now, our offerings there are a little bit more robust in the sense that we have Several different bachelor's degrees, such as computer networks and cybersecurity, or software development and security. We also offer multiple master's degrees uh, in cybersecurity, and as well as we offer uh, certificate programs. So you know something that uh, a lot of uh, the professional workforce that's out there, they may actually already have uh, you know, a good part of the learning necessary uh, in some of these fields. So, a undergraduate or graduate certificate is another way for them to ad- kind of achieve an educational outcome in, in a bit of an abbreviated fashion. So, we offer certificates in the graduate level such as cybersecurity management and policy, cybersecurity technology or information assurance. And then we also Mentioned, uh, you know, we have a master's in in data analytics, and again, as a as an emerging uh, and high demand field, I think the important thing to really touch on, Jason, is that um, the way we approach this is the same. We really try to understand what it is that the employers, whether they be federal or commercial sector, are looking for in the way of competencies for these folks, and then we design a curriculum around that, and then we try to uh, invest a lot in refreshing that curriculum on a regular basis. So again, it's more authentic and project based. Uh, they're learning practical skills, they're demonstrating how to do things that you need to do in that job in the real world. And so when they uh, they leave us, you know, we like to believe that they're much better prepared uh, than some of the more traditional approaches. Somebody may come to you and say, well, I've done this. For instance, uh, one of Maria's
1: folks may say, I've moved the data center to the cloud. Do they get, for instance, some real life experience credits if they can show proficiency in project
2: management or something? Well, there's actually a variety of ways that UMUC is able to, if you will, accept credits or transfer credits. So we have a very rigorous kind of unit, if you will, that does uh, credit assessment. So there's people that have taken courses with other institutions, whether they be military uh, uh, training uh, in a formal way. Some large employer training has been assessed. Uh, there's also a prior learning assessment that can be done, especially for our undergraduate programs, where, as you might imagine, we have mostly uh, adults, students, they come to us with credits, in some cases, from three or four other institutions, or they have, you know, a dozen or more years of, of professional experience. So we actually do have a pretty elaborate way with which we can kind of confer certain credit, which maybe helps them along the journey. All right, excellent. I always, uh... The important thing reduce costs potentially too. Exactly. We, are, we are looking at the
1: cost of it, higher education. Let me shift back to Maria. Maria, let's take this conversation uh, down to the practical level. We talked about the educational level, the importance of it. You're doing a lot of work at the Small Business Administration. You're doing a, a ton of efforts around, for instance, modernizing legacy IT. Let's get an update of where you're at with all of these efforts.
3: Over the last uh, ten months, you know, we focused initially on stabilize and modernize. You know, our objective with our primary data center was to get out of the data center. You know, my first six weeks there after that first six weeks, I looked around and I went, mm, we're going to four racks and we're moving to the cloud based on what I what I discovered, what I knew, what I could see and said, let's go. So we we stabilized what we had in our data center and modernized everything up to current operating systems. We did all of those things. So that took about four or five months to do. And then starting in March, we actually stood up five Tiger teams. Those followed right on the heels of our Tiger team that were stabilizing, modernizing our data center. And we've had a series of, we're doing this in releases, so following Agile methodologies. So we've done the cloud architecture. We did that, release one in a series of sprints with those five Tiger teams. We've completed the migration planning itself with those teams again as well. That's release two. We are in the migration phase right now, so we've moved about 70 systems to the cloud. And as we're moving those to the cloud... We've shut down about 170 systems, whether it's VMs or physical servers in our data center. You know, it's stabilized what we have in our data center. And as we're moving and as we're migrating, um, we're making a lot of progress. And what this is doing, where we haven't had backups before, you talked about Pete earlier, having disaster recovery, that's important. So as we're migrating, as we're moving, inherently we're getting a lot of this capability. So we are continuing the march forward we're learning a lot as we go because not only is it it migrating the systems it's you know some of our back office stuff applications with the program offices but as we're doing it we're doing it in stages and with those tiger teams you know with with operations with devops security is threaded all through throughout everything we're doing we've got a, a rep on each of the teams and as they're moving through this we're turning on the capability we're monitoring the environments how much money are we spending as we're turning this up we turned up a dev test environment for one of the program offices so that they could use for testing and development. So we turned that up. But part of this, you know, the operational side, we're continuing to kick the tires. We're making sure that we're, we're watching the money, we're watching the spend so that somebody doesn't leave something spinning up all night. You know, if they're only using it for two hours a day, turn it back off again. So there's a lot of things that we're working through as we go as we go through this. So as we're moving the things in our current data center, there's other Opportunities across SBA, so we're going to continue to march forward, but the uh, migration's begun.
1: That's a great results so far, just on the top. I and mean, if you just look at the the data that you pointed out, uh, moving uh, 70 systems to the cloud, shutting down 170 systems, cost savings is is probably the easy thing to talk about. But really, it's better capabilities, better security. I mean, are those the bigger benefits than than hey, we're not paying for this anymore?
3: Yeah, those are actually the better benefits because if you actually looked at the cost involved with failing HVACs with the problems we were having in the data center and you look at the resources required to bring them back up online and restore the systems and over a weekend and, you know, when a sand fails or something like that happens in the amount of – that's a lot of people doing stuff and that people translates technically to dollars. and And when you start moving into the cloud environment where you've got the availability, you've got the backups – you're taking, you know, you're reducing the risk essentially from the current data center.
1: I was on a panel recently with your CTO and I I think he mentioned you had a flood in your data center?
3: Well, so the week before I arrived, it really wasn't a flood. (laughs) There was some rain and there was some water, but any amount of water in the data center is a bad thing. And actually I will say that there was another leak. This is probably the one that that Sanjay was referencing. This was about a month or so ago. We did have water in there again. It was the same day as we had a big OCIO open house. So while this big open house was going on and we had, you know, 150 people in our spaces, there was a whole team in the back in our data center cleaning up some of that. So there's been two things in the last year. So water in a data center, no matter how much is bad.
1: <laughs> Never a good thing. <laughs> Maria, we're going to take a quick short break. When we come back, we'll uh, finish off our conversation talking more about SBA's uh, digital transformation. My guests today are Maria Wrote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer and Pete Young, the Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 a.m.
0: Check your thrift savings plan numbers every day at federalnewsradio.com. Find out how your funds closed and how they're doing for the year. It's all right there on our homepage, federalnewsradio.com.
5: Weekends were made for football in Annapolis. Gather the family and be part of the tradition. Navy football offers the best game day
1: atmosphere in college football. It's affordable and fun for the whole family. Come see all the action in Annapolis this season as the midshipmen defend their AAC West Division title. To order tickets now, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or NavyGameDay.com. That's 1-800-US-4-NAVY or NavyGameDay.com. Navy football, it's American.
5: A federal career can last 30 years or more, and so can federal retirement. Tune in every Monday at 10.05 a.m. to get the information you need to plan your course for financial security, solid benefits, and optimum health care. 100% focused on the federal employee. For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, has the answers to your career retirement planning questions. Listen to For Your Benefit, sponsored by WEPA, Mondays at 10.05 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m., for topics and ideas that could change your future. For free information, visit nitpinc.com and waepa.org. Join AFCEA Nova at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City on October
4: 3rd for the 16th annual Naval IT Day. In one content packed day, business developers, business leaders, executive managers and technical leaders will have the opportunity to gain outstanding insight into the vision and future directions of the naval forces. Active duty military and government employees may attend free of charge. Register now at fcianova.org. That's fcianova.org.
5: Hi, I'm Jared Serbu, the host of Federal News Radio's On DoD. Join me each week for a close-up view of the Defense Department from the management perspective.
2: We examine the department from every angle with interviews with top brass and industry experts. It's reliable information from the people in the know. That's On DoD every Wednesday at 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock Eastern on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. or download it anytime
5: at federalnewsradio.com. Search On DoD
1: welcome back you're listening to ask the cio on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m i'm your host jason miller my guests are maria wrote the small business administration's chief information officer and pete young the senior vice president of analytics planning and technology at the university of maryland university college maria we just ended last segment talking a little about the sba digital transformation and the effort you're making a lot of good progress so far one of the big challenges you have but also accomplishments i think you're starting to see is you're modernizing without new money so we know that the MGT Act, the Modernizing Government Technology Act, it's working its way through Congress. We've talked about agencies you know, doing more with less. How are you actually making this uh, happen without new funding?
3: No new funding, um, no extra funding. My budget, I had what I had to figure it out. Part of what we did was really took a hard look at what we were, what was in our budget, what was requested. When anybody came through with any requests for any hardware, software, said, do we need this? Do we need this software? You know, I think SBA, much like many other agencies, and I've said this before, you know, owns about one of everything around the software platforms and many versions of everything. So any acquisition that was coming through my office that that I was responsible for, we looked at it hard and said, do we need it? And many times it was a big no. And I don't care if it was $200 or $1,000 or it was a nickel. No, we're not doing that. And we put that aside and we had this wish list that we were working off of. The other thing is we had requests for, you know, replacement UPSs. Why would I replace a UPS that was getting out of date when I'm getting out of a data center? So there's cost savings there. We looked hard at at our maintenance, how we were spending our dollars around our maintenance, whether it was our networking devices, were we paying too much? So it was it was really getting into the weeds of what we owned, what we had, what we needed, and cutting back on, on why are we paying for this and really asking those hard questions So I was able to take those dollars and reinvest those into the architects, the engineers, and the support that we needed to transition to the cloud. So it really took an effort of really looking hard at the budget, the dollars, and asking the hard questions. Why do you need this? And for any of the team that wanted to buy something, justify it. Why do you need this many licenses? Do you need half? Do you need all of it? In addition, looked at, you know, there's pricing levels for different software packages. So when you look at, you know, I'll use Microsoft, for example, E1, E3, E5, Why are we paying E5 for service accounts when you should be paying at the E1 level? So right-sizing our license, enterprise license agreement. So all of those things all added up to real dollars that I was able to reinvest into making the transition to the cloud and getting the right people on board to be able to do that.
1: So when I'm listening to you talk, you're going to laugh at this, so you'll forgive me, but I can hear Richard McKinney talking in your on your shoulder. Why do we need that? Why are we doing that? Because you came from transportation, you were closely with Richard. I hear a lot of similarities. Did you, are you stealing from his playbook?
3: No, I just ask questions all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the same thing, you know, yeah. CDM in the cloud. CDM in the cloud. You know, I had said back in November no new hardware in our data center. No, absolutely not, we're moving. I had put a target on, we're going to four racks, period. So next thing you know, I get this requisition for $200,000 plus something, something of hardware. I went, why are we doing this? We have space in Azure, we're gonna spin it up in Azure. And the team said, well, we can't do that. DHS says we have to buy the hardware. I said, no, we don't. I said, why can't we spin it up in the cloud? This goes to asking lots of questions and why not? So they went back and worked with the folks over at DHS, and long story short, I did a memorandum to DHS and said, this is why I am not buying hardware, and this is what we are going to do, and then we moved on. We've actually completed um, phase one of CDM. We're doing the user testing on that right now. So through phase one, that's about getting pretty close to be up and, and running right now. So I think being the first federal agency to kick the tires spinning up CDM in the cloud, you don't need 96 cores. How about starting out with 16 and then spin up what you need as you're adding capability and tools on it? And I think there's a lot of lessons learned, and I've asked my folks to capture those. I said, I don't care if you put them on a sticky note. We're going to capture all of those and then share that out at some point across the federal space. What was
1: uh, DHS's reaction? Were they open to that? Because, you know, they're footing the bill for some of these CDM capabilities, but not for them all. And, and a lot of times agencies are looking at this going, OK, where am I going to find my money my cyber budget?
3: I could not afford the hardware piece. I did not have money in my budget to buy the hardware. DHSs, they were on board with what we wanted to do. There really wasn't any pushback. We worked with the DHS folks, had the the technical folks, had their discussions. I met with the the leadership over there. And, and the question was, why not? Can somebody give me a good reason why not? And no one could, even my team could not give me a good reason why not. So continuing to do, sometimes it's just working through it.
1: Because so many other agencies are putting CDM on-prem, if you will, or in their data centers, moving it to the cloud, that means you got to bring in Microsoft, too. You mentioned that as your, as your cloud, it could bring in Google, You could bring in any partner you have. Was there some challenges there to put it on a even government-only but commercial cloud?
3: No, there really weren't. It was a matter of spinning it up and you know saying, okay, we're going to start here on the number of cores that we need the software didn't change you're still installing it you're still putting it up there the difference is is in the monitoring of CDM you know you're supposed to be monitoring on-prem well okay we're going to have to come back through the network to monitor the on-prem oh but guess what we're already positioned to monitor in the cloud environment so as DHS matures the product to be able to do more in the cloud and do more monitoring um, in the cloud space and take advantage of that we're already positioned and we've got stuff set up
1: and let me just put a final point on this just so I understand when you talk about monitoring on-prem you still have some things that you're keeping on-premises. Not everything is in the cloud. And it's those applications, that data, those systems that need to be monitored on-prem. Do I have that yeah, right? Yeah,
3: because on-prem, you still have your your desktops, your workstations, you know, all the end-user computing environment, all of our network devices. All of those things are still on-premise. So you still have to monitor that environment, but we're monitoring it from the cloud rather than on-prem.
1: Let's talk about going forward. What's the next steps for you? You have a lot going on. Your plate's full, but it's. it's I'm sure it's a never-ending challenge.
3: Continuing the uh, the move, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, We're targeting springtime to be out of that data center and, and getting that shut down and moved out. Next steps is really working with the program offices, looking taking an enterprise approach to SBA on the programs and really digging into the investments across the board.
1: All right, plenty to catch up with you in the future. Let me turn back uh, to uh, Pete. Great conversation earlier on about the new cloud infrastructure architecture coursework. Uh, you had some great experiences, too, as a as, as continue to be a CIO and moving to the cloud. Give me a, a few lessons learned, a few words of wisdom from your experience that you'd pass on to people like Maria and other people
2: who are uh, just making their journey to the cloud. One of the lessons learned from from our perspective is that you need to focus on the people up front, throughout, and, and certainly after you know, as you kind of move things more to the cloud, the roles change. That introduces anxiety on the professional staff. So you actually have an opportunity not only to, to help train and upskill people, but you actually are, are introducing some uncertainty to them. Um, you know, if their role has been very premise-based, for example, and they were an administrator, how do you convert them into being an engineer uh, and working differently? So I think focusing on the on the staff and the people elements of this really can't go, um, you know, emphasized enough. And uh, just being flexible. This is a, it's a process. It's not something that's uh, going to be, you know, started one day, finished, you know, a month from now, and then you move on. Um, this is kind of a new way of living. And I think, you know, getting there is is something that each organization needs to figure out a little bit on, on themselves. But keeping a keen eye on your staff, not just the gaps that you have to develop uh, in the staff you have and, and acquire, but just managing the change, the change management aspects of this is, are huge. Let
1: me put a finer point on your piece here too. One of the things about, Culture change, and we hear this all the time with technology. is Is well, you got to manage the people. Did you have some people on your staff who just didn't want to make the change, who didn't want to stop? If you will look at the blinking lights and hug their servers, and and how do you how do you address that challenge?
2: Well, I think you've got a, a you've got a combination, right? So some people are are anxious about it, but are intrigued, and they become very I think excited when they understand the opportunity. It's not that the, that the role itself goes away, but the role changes. You have other roles that do fundamentally go away. I mean, we had. Uh, a fairly large data center, as I'm sure Maria has, has seen many times over, there were activities that were formed in a data center. And when you eliminate a facility, you eliminate the activities. So there are roles that completely do, in fact, go away. So that can't be, you know, kind of glossed over. But I think by and large, most of our staff that, you know, had a keen interest in, in learning and developing new skills and talents have been great and, and were really, uh, you know, willing to adopt and embrace that. Uh, but not everyone is, is a universal supporter. Maria, jump in.
3: We've been talking about the workforce, but I, you know, in the training aspect, but the workforce is so important on this, and that one of the things that we're getting ready to launch in the next few weeks to do the, the kickoff on is just the strategic IT workforce planning for SBA, and I think this goes right into what you were talking about, Pete.
1: Maria, have you had the same challenges as Pete described as people who maybe just were not... Excited for the move to the cloud or because, you know, a lot of times I hear from federal CIs that they're so understaffed That people are happy to take off the hat where they were the blinking light guy or woman that had to watch it or the server hugger hat Did you have some of that change too?
3: Uh, we have some of that. I think everybody has to, to do that because you're not going to have the, the You can't hug those racks anymore, but it's it's changing how you do it and and exactly what Pete was talking about There is an entire change management function to this. You're not doing this anymore. You're not doing X, you're doing Y.
1: All right. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. This has been a, a tremendous conversation. I'd like to thank both my guests, Maria Wrote, the Small Business Administration's Chief Information Officer, and Pete Young, the Senior Vice President of Analytics, Planning, and Technology at the University of Maryland University College. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time. Maria, thank you for taking the time. Thank, thank you. you,
0: Jason. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.
2: Hey, electrical contractors, I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb/contractorbetter.